This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 306. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we celebrate the start of a new decade by talking about how you can make the next year and the next 10 years successful in running and life. Plus, we share our favorite books from 2019. And of course, to get support in accomplishing your goals this year, you can learn about Academy membership and coaching when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so Angie, first episode of the new year, 2020, exciting stuff, and you actually counted up how many miles you ran in uh, 2019. That's right. I ran a total of 2,075 miles, my first time going over 2,000, so I'm patting myself on the back a little bit. (laughs) It's been a goal for a while, but you know, I really don't try to force it. I just kind of go with the mileage that my training takes me, depending on how healthy I am, so Very happy to have gone over the 2,000 mile mark for the first time. And yeah, I always feel like I reflect back and think, where did the last year go? And now we're reflecting back on the last decade a little bit too. (laughs) It's like, where did the last decade go? How many miles did you run over the last decade? Do you know? I actually added it up for this episode and I have run 13,939 miles. How in the world do you even know that number? Well, because I'm a complete running numbers nerd. (laughs) I've kept paper running logs for ever since I started running seriously back in 2007, I guess. So yeah, I've just tabulated it every year. I just always like to keep track of the numbers. Well, I have no idea what my numbers are. I'm sure they're not anywhere close to those numbers. I just get out and run. I don't fuss with all kinds of nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone has to track every single mile they run, but I think it is kind of fun. And with a lot of things that I do, I wish I had started tracking things earlier because, you know, at the time you might not think it's a big deal. You're just starting your running journey and you're like, oh, my 200 miles this year doesn't seem like a big deal maybe, but over time, it does add up, and it's really fun to be able to look back and see how far you've come. Yeah, and here we are in a new decade, and this episode is going to kind of follow the principle that comes from this great quote. I don't know who first said it. I heard it from Tony Robbins. He said, most people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, but they underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. That's pretty true. So we're going to focus on looking at a chunk of time like that, 10 years and thinking about where you want to be in 10 years in your running and your health and your life. And we'll also zoom down and look at this year, 2020. And of course, to have a great year, you've got to take daily action. So a lot of what we're going to talk about on this episode is going to be just taking that daily action. So I believe it's going to be an inspiring episode for you guys, a great one to kick the year off with. Before we jump into what we have prepared for you, we'd like to give some shout outs to folks in the community who are doing some awesome things. That's right. This note says, Trevor and Angie, thank you so much for the MTA podcast. Your show has gotten me through many long runs in the mid-Missouri heat. Around August of 2018, I discovered your podcast, and I decided I needed to place a higher priority on my nutrition, and I wanted to get back into running. Since then, I've logged over 850 miles and lost 40 pounds. Wow. In the fall of 2019, I ran my first marathon, the Heart of America Marathon in Columbia, Missouri. This marathon was a huge learning process, and I can't wait to put more 
more marathons on the calendar for 2020. Thank you again. It's so true that we all have what it takes to run a marathon and change our lives. And that comes from Tyler. Wow. Thank you for that note, Tyler, and congrats on your progress in 2019, all the miles you logged and the weight that you lost running your first marathon. Keep up the great work. And this next note says, my name is Caitlin, and I wanted to write a quick thank you. I'm 30 years old, and while I've been very active and into fitness ever since I can remember, I've never ran a race of any distance before. Running a marathon was always on my bucket list, but fear of not being able to keep up with my two siblings who run ultra marathons and compete in the world's toughest mudder always held me back. If I was going to do it, I wanted to be proud of myself and impress my siblings. I decided I needed to stop letting fear of not being good enough stop me. I bought your sub four hour training plan and followed it to a T and loved every minute of it. I finished the St. Jude Marathon in three hours, 42 minutes, beating my siblings and also having the fastest first marathon of anyone in my family. And now I'm signing up for my first ultra marathon and then I'm going to go after that BQ. Well, she finished way under four hours. I think your siblings better watch out. That's right. And this last note comes from Deepak. He says, Hi, Angie and Trevor. This message has been a long time coming. I want to thank you for literally saving and changing my life. I was a rabid fan of MTA from the beginning. To make a very long story short, in my pursuit of running proficiency, I ended up overtraining, getting sick, and injuring my back. I got to the low depression point of not being able to bend over and pick up my youngest child, who was a baby at the time. Through some of the early guests of the podcast, I found advanced techniques to heal my back through unconventional methods, and in the process, lost the last 40 pounds of a 100-pound weight loss journey. In my 40s, I'm healthier than when I played sports in my younger years. This personal journey led me to leave a well-paying corporate job and begin coaching other people with their health goals. I no longer think small with my health. I plan to be a centenarian. My life has been completely changed over the last six years, and I can trace it all back to the MTA podcast. Thank you. Wow, that's amazing because you just never know how what someone hears, whether it's from us or from one of our guests, just is exactly what they need in that moment in life. It sort of just unlocks something in their thinking, perhaps, or in their spirit. It's like a spark that really starts to change things up for them. And so awesome to hear, Deepak, how you've lost all that weight and how you've gotten healthy. And I love his long-term focus. You know, uh, he says he plans on being a centenarian. So yeah, he's not looking forward to the next decade. He's looking forward to like the next six decades. (laughs) We love it. Speaking of six decades, Angie, you told me something (laughs) yesterday that you have been alive for six decades. I've been alive to experience part of six decades. Yeah, I was like blowing my kid's mind yesterday. (laughs) Because Angie's only 41 years old. That's right. So I was born in 1978, so I snuck into the 70s. Then, of course, the 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, and now 2020s. So Six decades. Six decades. <laughs> wow, it just makes you sound old. I feel grateful. And I think in our society, there's so much focus put on being young and looking young that we really forget to embrace the privilege that it is to get older. I mean, I was just listening to an audiobook this morning, and it talked about how in the 1850s, the average lifespan for a woman in the United States was 40 years old. Hmm. So to be in midlife at age 40, and if things go well, to realize I'm only halfway through is, is such a privilege that, you know, I think we should embrace more about aging in a healthy and strong way. So quit calling me old. <laughs> <laughs> well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. 
All right, first episode of A New Decade and a New Year. Yeah, that's right. This time of the year, there's a lot of tension that's put onto goals and resolutions, getting motivated, and of course, having the best year or decade ever. And I think there's a lot more hype about it this year because we are starting a new decade. You know, something about 2020 just feels really auspicious. Yeah, we should have flying cars by now, shouldn't we? (laughs) Here we are. So everyone, take a minute and think about the big things that you accomplished in the last decade. You'll probably be surprised just how much life you were able to live and just huge milestones that you saw uh, reached in the last 10 years. And remember that quote that most people underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. You can be a totally different person than you are today 10 years from now, be in a totally different new place in life with new mindsets, new skills, new opportunities. So just to illustrate this, Angie, in the last 10 years, what are some of the big things that you saw unfold in your life? Yeah, it was interesting to think back about this. Um, Of course, one big thing is that uh, I had our third son, Liam, in 2010. So he's been a big joy to our life, (laughs) changed it a lot. Of course, we started the MTA podcast back in 2010. So that was this decade. I became a running coach. Um, I had a fourth pregnancy and lost our son halfway through the pregnancy. So that was that was a tough year. Um, I gained a new sister-in-law and a new brother-in-law and 13 nieces and nephews. <laughs> In the last 10 years, I've run 55 marathons, three 50Ks, a 40-miler, and a 50-miler. I've had some health struggles. I was able to qualify for Boston. We moved to a new state. I did a one-year running streak as just kind of an experiment. I've traveled to 49 U.S. states. I started a daily meditation practice uh, just over four years ago, traveled internationally for races. And as I mentioned earlier, I ran 13,939 miles in the last decade. Excellent. So looking back at the last decade, Trevor, what stands out for you? Oh, well, I watched a lot of TV, um, (laughs) slept in every day. Ate a lot of peanuts. (laughs) No, it was a good decade. Like everything that you mentioned about our son uh, being born, about moving across the country, about starting MTA. We grew MTA uh, thanks to our amazing listeners. We grew our show from zero episodes, of course, to now 306 episodes and 8.4 million downloads. That's awesome. Yeah, we took it from a side hustle to our main gig. Yep. We had one coach in the beginning, Angie, now we have 10. So really excited, too, about what the future holds. Also, I left my my old job, which I was a pastor of a church for a while, that I, a church that I started, and so I was able to turn that church over. And to see it continue is, is, is awesome. And, of course, I started running long distances in the last decade. I basically went from a desk potato who hated to run to now I've done 17 marathons, including one ultra, and 25 or 26 half marathons. I don't really have the exact count of those, but really have changed my identity. Plus done a lot of travel, touched down in about 17 different countries, and learned a new language. Can't say I am fluent yet in German, but I can read the language now. And as long as people talk slowly to me, I can understand what they're saying. And if they have patience, I can talk with them. And of course, made a lot of new friends along the way, which has been great. We met up with a lot of listeners to the podcast. It's been a good decade, and I think the next decade is going to be even more epic. Had to throw that word in there, didn't you? Yes. (laughs) So the title of this episode is based on a book that I read recently called How to Have a Good Day, Harness the Power of Behavioral Science to Transform Your Working Life, and that's by author Carolyn Webb. 
And her website describes the book this way, quote, advances in the behavioral sciences are giving us an even better understanding of how our brains work, why we make the choices we do, and what it takes for us to be at our best. And obviously, we're not going to be able to talk about everything in her book today, but I try to pull out some of the most helpful things that I thought would really help us think about how to have a great year and how to have a great new decade. And I have to admit that when I'm reading a book, I often apply the principles to long distance running. Uh, Because we all know that training for a marathon holds a lot of parallels to life in general. All right, let's jump into it. The first thing is to be intentional. Don't let the day simply happen to you or the year for that matter. It's important to set intentions and priorities for the day because it's these priorities and assumptions that set the tone for the day. Your mind is always busy sorting through endless amounts of information. It's even processing information while we sleep. So it really never turns off. Author Caroline Webb says, quote, the things that get through the filters are strongly influenced by the priorities and assumptions that we take into the day, end of quote. So I want to talk about three ways to be more intentional taken from the book, How to Have a Good Day. The first thing is aim. So you want to plan out the most important things in your day. Make a list of your priorities. This will be things that really matter most to make your day successful. So even though I've been in the regular habit of exercise for years, I still schedule time each day for my workouts. That way it's top of mind and I'm intentionally making time to do it. So that means scheduling a block of time to achieve your one to two most important priorities. And in order to get more done and to stay focused, it's important to reduce multitasking and interruptions. Science tells us that we really can't multitask effectively, even though I would like to think that <laughs> I could. It's, it's really not a good way to get the most out of yourself. If you were at the track doing a speed workout and you had your phone with you and you had notifications on and, you know, it was like dinging, so you're like looking at it in the middle of your intervals It's going to slow you down. It's going to reduce your focus and you're not going to get the best out of yourself. So this will mean that you turn off notifications on your phone when you want to have productive periods Um, and to be more intentional about when you check your email instead of just every time the ding comes in, you know, checking the email, um, having more intentional times during the day to do that. And then also helping others to respect your priorities, because if you don't set the priorities for yourself, then people aren't automatically going to be like, hey, shouldn't you get out for your run? Or hey, shouldn't you go do this? You know, you have to really make things happen for yourself. According to behavioral science, your intentions for the day should be first positive. So it should be what you'll do instead of what not to do. You could frame it this way. I will eat 100 grams of protein today versus I won't snack between meals. So you're focusing more on the positive versus the negative. Or I will strength train on Tuesday and Thursdays this week versus I won't skip strength training. So you want your intentions to be positive, personally meaningful, and feasible. So keep in mind that you have limited time and energy each day, so you don't want to overschedule yourself. So I'm thinking of an example of this. Don't schedule your long run on a day when you'll be attending kids' sporting events from dawn to dusk. It's just not feasible to get your long run if you plan on watching their games. This is kind of like something out of my life because I have moved my long run from Saturdays, which are often full of kids' sports stuff, to Fridays because I know I can schedule in a block of time that day to do my long run. Another example is to not schedule your long run immediately after coming off a string of night shifts. So anyone who's ever worked nights, you know, maybe you work three, four, or five night shifts in a row And if you immediately come off, your body just needs some time to rest and sleep and rebound if you're going to be able to give your best effort to something like a long run. 
So, you know, find what rhythms work for your body the best and make sure that you're scheduling things in a feasible manner. So that was all about aim when you're being intentional towards your goals. Another important aspect of being intentional is your attitude. We all hear a lot about practicing gratitude. In fact, gratitude was one of my words for 2019. But it's true that much of how we experience life comes down to our attitude. To work on having a successful attitude, you can use something called mental contrasting to increase the odds of having a successful day. Mental contrasting is all about looking at realities and obstacles and then making a plan to achieve your goals anyway. So it's not that we never admit that there are unpleasant things in our life or obstacles that we're going to face, but it's about coming up with a plan to overcome these obstacles and to be successful anyway. Former POW James Stockdale said this, quote, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. I thought that was pretty powerful. He was talking about the difference between the people who were able to endure the realities of the prison camp with those who just gave up. Hmm. And he says, you can't just block out the reality and just it's all sunshine and roses, but you have to keep that long-term faith in the midst of the brutal facts. So don't be afraid to be realistic about where you're currently at, but then at the same time, be sure to project hope for the future. Caroline Webb says, quote, people are far more likely to achieve their goals if they think hard about both the outcome they want and the obstacles they're facing and plan for both. For example, if you find that you're rarely able to get up and run in the morning, you use the snooze button a lot, Maybe you need to set your alarm away from your bed so that you have to get up to turn it off. Or if you're truly not a morning person, you may want to consider working out over your lunch break or in the evening. There's no one-size-fits-all routine that works for everyone, but if you're intentional about the obstacles that you face, you'll find a solution that works for you. So we've talked about aim and attitude. The final A is attention. We need to prime our brain with the images or words that we want to focus on. So something that comes to mind about attention is that you know maybe you're thinking about buying a certain pair of shoes. So it's on your mind and you're going to start seeing people wearing them everywhere. It's like when I first heard about the Nike Vaporflies, pretty soon everywhere I was going, I was seeing people in these shoes. It was like my attention was on those shoes and so I kept seeing them everywhere. I think they call it the reticular activating system in our brain as a side note. <laughs> That's right. So if you're a runner, you're going to start noticing all the people who are out running or you'll be looking for new running routes. I mean, all the time I think, wow, I wonder where that road goes. It looks like a good place to run. So you have your attention on things like that. So prime your brain with images of your goals and intentions for the day, and then you'll find opportunities to advance the goal and to come up with creative solutions. So some ways to prime your brain to achieve your goals could be to Put a sticky note with your written goals where you'll see them, like on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator, on your computer, maybe on the dash of your car. Angie has one on the dash of our treadmill. I do, yeah. And I was like, well, I you know, use the treadmill several times a week. Mine's as well slap my goals up here. <laughs> you may choose to display your running medals around the house. That's another good way to prime your brain with your identity and your goals. Or maybe you have exercise equipment around the house to cue your brain. And I'm not talking about the treadmill in the corner that's covered with clothes either. (laughs) (laughs) That could be a negative cue. Like, oh man, I should be using that thing. (laughs) Exactly. I know when times when I've, you know, been dealing with tight muscles, I will keep like a roller, like right next to my chair where I read. So it reminds me like, oh, before you sit down to read, 
you know, roll your muscles out and just, you know, little cues like that can help prime you to be more intentional about your goals. So we talked about being intentional, focusing on the changes that you want to make and setting those cues in your environment, especially when it comes to running and just how important attitude is. Another important factor to consider is having the right motivation. So we, we call this finding your personal why. I think research shows that it's clear that intrinsic motivation leads to higher performance as opposed to extrinsic motivation. So if you're doing it for yourself, that intrinsic motivation, then you're more likely to succeed. We've talked before on this show about how some motivations to run your first marathon are more meaningful than others. Examples of whys that aren't as helpful could include running a marathon to lose weight because it isn't a given or because someone else is excited about it or putting pressure on you, or maybe with the why to impress other people. Those things may get you started, but it's unlikely that they're going to see you through all the hard work and the training and the difficulty that you will inevitably go through when you're training for a marathon. Other more helpful whys include focusing on who you want to become and how you're going to start living into that identity. If you start seeing yourself as a runner and as a marathoner, then your daily actions are going to reflect that identity and it's going to change the choices that you make. For example, a marathoner runs regularly. They take care of their bodies in ways that will keep them strong and healthy. They're smart about their training in order to avoid injury. So having that personal why, making it part of your identity, is going to be so much more powerful in the long run than just having extrinsic motivation. And I always look at it as, do people actually want to run a marathon or do they want something deeper, like underneath that task and that accomplishment, there are psychological forces at work. What we really want, perhaps, is to feel like a badass, to be a stronger, healthier version of ourselves so that we can just be on point in other areas of life. So I'm always thinking about, like, why do people do this? Because running is awesome, but usually there are deeper whys at work. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when people start running, it's usually not with the motivation, like, I just like to put one foot in front of the other for endless minutes. It's usually about reconnecting to a stronger version of themselves or maybe dealing with challenges that have come up in their life and finding a, a positive coping mechanism. So yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent. So be intentional, find your why. And number three, think big and start small. That's right. I totally love it when people have big goals, but sometimes we never get past the big goals to see the smaller actions that we need to be taking. So daily goals should be focused and achievable. Another great book I read this year is called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and he really addresses this topic so well. An atomic habit is a small routine or practice that's easy to do and something that creates compound growth. Just like an atom is small, but split that atom and big things happen, right? <laughs> that's right. We can often get stuck in bad habits, not because we don't want to change, but because we often don't have the right system in place to achieve that change. So maybe your goal is to stop snacking after dinner. But if you just eat sporadically through the day and you don't prioritize eating protein with dinner and you keep snacks in sight, you'll probably find yourself on a feeding frenzy late in the evening, even though that's not what you want to be doing. Or maybe your goal is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. It can be a big goal that takes time to achieve. Progress toward this goal is going to be achieved through the training that you do day in and day out. You build strength and speed over time. It doesn't come instantly. 
we often underestimate how much little changes can result in big growth over time. James Clear talks about the four laws of behavior change in his book. And those four laws are make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. He says, success is the product of daily habits, not once in a lifetime transformations. Breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions, which build up the potential required to unleash a major change. So we can often look at someone's breakthrough moment and feel a little envious. We think, why isn't that happening for me? But what we don't see is behind the scenes, all the tiny steps and all the hard work and effort that led to that breakthrough. Breakthroughs usually don't happen by accidents, and sometimes we can't predict when they'll happen for us. For an example, I ran 25 marathons before I qualified for Boston for the first time. So you have to be patient with the process. Another important thing to do is to identify keystone habits. Charles Duhigg talks about keystone habits in his book, The Power of Habit. Keystone habits are changes or habits that unintentionally carry over into other areas of life. They can include positive habits like sleep, exercise, mindfulness, and healthy eating, just to name a few things. And when you look at keystone habits, it's important to identify the things that bring you energy and also try to identify the energy vampires in your life or the things that lower your energy. So I thought I would list a few examples of each. So energy givers could be things like sleep, alone time, meditation, exercise, reading, eating balanced meals, time in nature, massages, time with friends, the list could go on and on. Energy vampires, things that suck away your energy could include many things. So it's going to be different for each person. But here are some of my energy vampires. Getting less than seven hours of sleep equals poor energy. Too much screen time, maybe watching too much TV or spending excess time on social media. Not setting priorities for the day. Too much sugar. Going long periods between meals. Trevor knows how hangry I get. (laughs) Not exercising. Not drinking enough water. Caffeine and alcohol. So those are some of the things that just lower and suck my energy. Were you saying caffeine is an energy vampire? It is. Yeah. For me, it just increases my cortisol levels. Huh. So like I said, this is going to vary from person to person, depending on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert and a morning or night person. Many people find that certain music can bring an energy boost. So it's important to keep a playlist of songs that you can turn to when you need to power up. You may also notice that certain people in your life are energy givers, while some are energy vampires. So there's a lot of different things if you start to just be on the lookout and maybe make a list of things that give your energy, boost your energy versus things that suck your energy away. And lastly, harness the power of environment. We do want to recognize that it can be tough to make changes and stick to goals on your own. That's why tapping into the power of environment can fast track you to achieving your goals. James Clear says, quote, we tend to imitate the habits of three social groups, the close, like family and friends, the many, and the powerful, those with status and prestige. And I thought that was a really good insight, and this is one of the reasons that I'm careful about who I follow on social media. You may find that certain people really give you a kick in the pants, and they're motivating, and they bring energy into your life, while others just make you unhappy with your life. So, you know, kind of start to identify things like that. You have limited time, so make sure that your environment is working for you. James Clear goes on to say, quote, one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits is to join a culture where, number one, your desired behavior is the normal behavior, and number two, you already have something in common with the group. And when I think about that quote, 
that's one of the reasons why we created MTA and more specifically the Academy. We know how important it is to be surrounded by supportive and encouraging people who are achieving the things that you are or the things that you want to achieve. When I ran my first marathon, I didn't have any runners in my life and it was it was very lonely and I you know, just had so much self-doubt and so many questions I needed to have answered and you know, really kind of felt alone in the process. Yeah, I think there is wisdom to that old quote by, I think it was Charlie Terminus Jones. He said, you'll be the same person you are today a year from now, except for the books you read and the people you hang around. The quote might be a little different, but that's how I remember it. There is a lot of truth, though, to just how much our environment affects us. That's why I like to read books by guys that are doing stuff that I don't even want to do what they do. Like David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, and what he put his body through. Like, I have no desire to do that. But just seeing how much he pushes himself, I think about how easy my run is or whatever I'm doing in comparison to that. And it kind of lifts me up, you know, makes me feel like it's possible. Yeah, that's right. That's a good example of someone who you could follow on social media if you want a kick in the pants and don't mind some um, rather strong language. (laughs) He often posts, you know, just kind of like let go of your excuses, do the hard thing kind of videos. And it can be really motivating. Be like, yeah, that is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be the person who is getting outside my comfort zone. And do you remember his uh, his Leadville um, Instagram story? He was like, I'm in mile 80. My feet are killing me. Nobody cares. (laughs) Yes, I love that. (laughs) I think about that sometimes when I'm like having a little inner dialogue. Oh, poor me. Nobody cares. (laughs) Everyone has their own stuff. (laughs) He listed off like five things. I got horrible chafing between my thighs. Nobody cares. (laughs) Oh, that was classic, man. One of the things that I, I just love about long distance running is really the fact that all you have control over is the work that you put in and your attitude. And you can go into each day with the mindset just to always do your best. And now that doesn't mean that you have to go hard every day or run yourself into the ground, kind of like David Goggins detailed in his book. Anyone who's run for any length of the time knows that you can show up to a workout or a race and you can have the best day of your life or you can have the worst day of your life or maybe it's something in between. You really just can't control all the variables. All you can control is your preparation and attitude. So I really you know, want to encourage everyone to make this new decade one where we approach it with the right preparation and the right attitude. And I think that is going to help us ultimately be successful in whatever our goals are. Well, we've already mentioned a handful of books, but now we want to talk even more about books. We want to give you guys some of our top book picks from 2019 of all the ones that we read, kind of the ones that rise to the surface for us. First of all, some of you guys probably know that Angie is a book reading savage. Is that accurate, Angie? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about savage, but voracious reader maybe would apply. So Angie, I want you to tell us how many books that you read in 2019 and Folks, you're probably going to wonder if Angie actually has a job or does anything else with her time. (laughs) The answer is no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, during 2019, I read 268 books total. And in all fairness, some of these you listened to didn't necessarily read per se. Well, I count audiobooks as reading as well. So yeah, it's a combination of audiobooks, ebooks, and paper books as well. Okay, so what's the breakdown? 
Well, I read a pretty even amount of fiction and nonfiction. So I read 133 fiction books and 135 nonfiction books. I should also mention that these books are cardboard, like children's books, you know, full uh-huh. <laughs> with pictures. Actually, one of our kids was asking me, like, what qualifies as a book? And I said, I don't think I've read anything with less than 100 pages. And several of the books would be close to 900 or more pages. So would you consider yourself a speed reader? I would say I read faster than some people. I mean, I guess I consider myself to be normal, but I'm probably abnormal. <laughs> when I listen to audiobooks, I usually listen at anywhere from 1.25 to 1.4 speed because that's just how the flow of information like keeps my attention best. You were the girl that never wanted to listen to anything while you run. Have you changed that? Do you listen to audiobooks now when you run? I do. I used to listen to nothing when I ran. I think especially when my kids were really little and I just needed quiet and I just needed to have my own thoughts <laughs> and no one talking to me. But I would say for probably 75% of my runs now, I do listen to audiobooks and I find that it, I'm still able to get into the flow of the run and it's not like the pace changes like with music sometimes you know something's like really upbeat or you know low energy it's like the pace of an audiobook um is pretty consistent and yeah i mean it really can help the miles slip away so how many books related to running did you read in 2019 and which ones would you recommend if you had to pick just a few yeah running related books i read around 15 of those and i would say maybe my Top four would be Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. We mentioned that one earlier. I read it on our summer trip, and it just really fired me up for a couple of my races. Um, Another great one was To Be a Runner by Martin Dugard. A third one is called You, Only Faster by Coach Greg McMillan. And another one I just finished reading, which is so excellent, is called Rebound. Train Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries by Cindy Kuzma and Carrie Jackson Sheedle. And this is a book that if you are injured right now, stop everything. Well, go to the end of the podcast and then go order this book (laughs) because it's the best thing I've read to help people through injury, sports injury specifically. Okay. And as far as nonfiction books go that are not about running per se, what are some of the top uh, picks from 2019? Oh, I could mention a ton, but I'll try to <laughs> try to hold myself back to a handful. Um, obviously, How to Have a Good Day by Caroline Webb. We mentioned a lot of her work in today's episode. Um, another one is Atomic Habits by James Clear. We talked about that one as well. Another really impactful one was called Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wu Dunn. It's basically about how women across the world are in some ways so limited compared to what we experience in the Western world. And just how education and empowering women to start businesses through things like microloans can really make a huge, huge difference on advancing so many of these countries and setting women on a path to more empowerment and freedom and being able to achieve their own personal goals. So it's, it's really an impactful book. It's one of those that's kind of gut-wrenching to read because there's so many sad stories, but it's also very hopeful as well. 
Another great one is called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And they are two former Navy SEALs, and they've just got some great wisdom about how to take ownership of things in your life, to be a better leader, um, to achieve goals. And they sprinkle in a lot of stories from their military career, so it makes it really interesting. Another helpful one is called Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss, and he basically interviews just like top performers in their field and asks them questions about what's one thing they would put on a billboard or, you know, favorite quote of theirs or what their favorite failure is. Just some really insightful questions and seeing how these people answer them. I was just like taking notes from this book all the time. Well, a similar one to that is Tools of Titans, which we actually have Yeah, I need to read that one next because I I really enjoyed Tribe of Mentors. A final one that really stood out to me is called Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo. And I read this in the fall, and it was just what I needed during that period of my life. I mean, the fall was so busy, and it was full of a lot of great things, but it was also full of a lot of challenges. And sometimes I felt like I wasn't, (laughs) I was hardly keeping my head above water. And so I actually put this quote on our fridge, a sticky note, everything is figure outable. And I've heard you echo that to our kids many times when they're complaining about how hard their lives are. Yeah, I have. I've just told them everything is figure outable. You know, you can find a way. I have faith in you, <laughs> that kind of thing. Because yeah, we all face challenges, but there are ways to figure things out. So that was that was a great book. And of course, then I read um, a lot of fiction as well. And if anyone's interested in the full list of my top book recommendations, they can go over to our blog and read more about it. So what books stood out for you in 2019? Well, I didn't read nearly as many as you did. That's for sure. Um, I only got to 52, but I do read... One book a week. That's still pretty good. Yeah. I only read nonfiction and some of them were pretty dense. And as far as running books go, I read a lot of the same ones that Angie did. Um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins might be my favorite that I read. But all the guests that we had on the show, of course, I read their books if they had a book. So Meb Kofleski, 26 Marathons is a great read. A pretty quick read too. Susan Lakey, Running Outside Your Comfort Zone. It's a fun one. And also Matthew Futterman is a great writer. Um, Of course, he wrote Running to the Edge. But as far as other books I really enjoyed, uh, probably the most interesting book, uh, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, taking a look back at our evolutionary past and how learning to cooperate in groups is really the secret sauce of Sapiens. That was our magic. That was how we were able to build civilizations. The follow-up to Sapiens, his second book I also read this year, and that's Homo Deus. This is a look at the future. So Sapiens looks back at the past, Homo Deus to the future, and it's his contention that longevity will increase. You know, it, it might not be unusual, he thinks, in the future for people to live for hundreds of years as we're able to grow organs and replacement body parts in the lab. And as we become more fused with technology, I mean, you think about how you can put a pacemaker in your heart. So it's like organic and inorganic matter coming together. He thinks that there's going to be more of that in the future. So kind of like a human cyborg project. Sweet. Zip around in our flying cars. (laughs) (laughs) There was nothing about flying cars. I know. I read the book. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) I went to uh, Denmark for the first time in 2019 and went to Copenhagen and I read a couple of books about the country. On the way there, I read the little book of Huga. Huga is this concept that the Danes have about just what provides comfort and happiness uh, in an environment. And they're really good at setting up their homes and setting up their public spaces to provide this cozy feeling. It really, it's coziness, I think, is the closest English equivalent if you're going to find a word for it. And part of making an environment hoogly 
is good lighting. And it's something they really study a lot over there is just how the lights in a room affect your energy. I do appreciate good lighting. I hate glaring lighting. I hate inadequate lighting. (laughs) We could talk books all day, but we better cut it off here. Love to hear which ones that you enjoyed in 2019. If you want to leave us a comment over on the blog, you can find where this episode lives over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Well, before we wrap up, there is one more special segment we want to play for you now. It is a conversation with one of our listeners named Molly, who has been actually listening to the podcast since we started in 2010. As we are approaching our 10-year anniversary We thought it'd be fun to kind of speak to some listeners who have been with us since the beginning. So here's that conversation with Molly Wilson. All right, I'm talking now with Molly Wilson. And uh, Molly, you live in Mississippi, correct? Yes, past Christiane on the Gulf Coast. And what do you do for a living? I'm a marriage and family therapist. Awesome. And what, what made you decide to get into long distance running? for about 30 years. I started, I had a back surgery at the age of 14. And so I really couldn't do any of my previous activities like dancing or gymnastics, things like that. So I started running and I probably kept up just like low, moderate distances till about 2009 when my husband passed away suddenly. And then I used running as a way of coping mm-hmm. and keeping myself sane, yeah. um, processing. So you found running was a great way to process things. Yeah. It was a chance for me to be alone. I had young kids at the time, so I didn't necessarily want them to see me in tears all the time. Yeah. Um, and just kind of process my thoughts and my plan of what I needed to do next and what would be the healthiest for me to do. So you've been listening to the podcast since the first year that we started. What attracted you to the podcast originally? Well, like I said, at that point, I was going longer and longer in my distancing. Again, mainly just to process my grief. But it got to a point where um, I didn't really want to necessarily listen to music. So I was trying to find something else. And I came across your podcast on iTunes. And it just seemed to fit. And what I really liked is, kind of sounds funny, but both your voices are so calming hmm. that it helped keep me calm. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard that about us. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, so you guys have introduced me to definitely um, a new area to improve my running and just my overall well-being. And some of it, you know, I've used it in, in therapy. Wow. Because one of the things I do in my practice is walk, talk, and I do have a couple of clients that like to run. Not necessarily consistent running, we'll do more like of a run walk, but they find it very helpful. And so in that, I do a lot of mental work with them, Mm. um, encouraging them and being positive about what their body can do. Because some of my clients, although they're there for depression or family issues, it ultimately comes down with a lot of them as self-esteem. Hmm. I think long distance running can be a great way to build one's self-esteem. Exactly. Exactly. And although they may not be running marathons, um, I've had a number of them who've never run before go out and do five Ks. And you know how that changes someone's yeah. self image and just thoughts of themselves. It's incredible. It is. And how many, 
marathons have you done? Marathons, I have. I think I've done fifteen. Wow. Has I've done over twenty. I'm not really sure. I've lost track of halves, and thus far, I've done two ultras. That's awesome. Thanks for being a longtime listener. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you do and the continued learning. After 10 years, I'm still not bored. I'm still learning and I enjoy every minute. Well, that's good news. That'll keep us motivated to go another 10 years. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Molly. Well, big thanks to Molly Wilson for being a longtime listener to the MTA podcast and Academy member and sharing her story with us. Well, we just appreciate all of you that listen to the show, whether you have been listening for years or you just found us. We're looking forward to a great year, and we got all kinds of big stuff coming up on the horizon. Of course, Angie's going to be running her final marathon in her 50-state quest in Hawaii on January 18th, and we're going to take you there via the podcast. And of course, the year is young. Who knows where we will end up and who we'll end up talking to. The sky is the limit. And of course, if we can help you in your training this year, whether it is for your first half or your first full marathon, or you're going to go out for that BQ or your first ultra, we can help you get trained up solid. We have amazing coaches that can work with you one-on-one. And we also have all kinds of training plans and resources in the Academy, as well as all of our back podcast episodes from season one all the way to today. So we'd love to help you make this the year. You can learn more when you go to marathontrainingacademy.com. Well, that's it for this episode. Keep taking action in your health and in your goals. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Bye.